Hello and welcome to your guide to the good stuff. I'm your host, Jim Graber. Life is too short not to enjoy every moment of it, so we're going to share with you the tips, tricks, tools, and strategies to help make your day-to-day life easier and more enjoyable. Plus, we're going to help you create those special moments, the ones that lead to lifetime memories, all without breaking the bank, because you deserve it. Hello and welcome to today's episode, The Renewable Energy Craze. What does renewable energy have to do with living the good life, you might ask? Well, there are a couple answers to that question. First off, we're being forced down the path by the government, and there are a few things you need to know about it. Second, there are solid financial reasons to consider it. However, how it's portrayed and its reality are completely different. So today, I will cover key facts you'll need to know to make informed decisions. To start off, we own solar panels. I've had them for several years, and I have first-hand experience with how they work. And as you might guess, I did a ton of research before buying those solar panels. Through that process, I discovered plenty of misconceptions associated with solar electrical production and plenty of, I don't know, improper advertising as to how they work. So let me share with you what I've discovered and what I've experienced. Before we start, I want to be clear Nothing you're going to hear in this discussion has anything to do with politics. Society today wants to put everything into a political box. And if it fits this ideology, and I use the term ideology loosely, you quote unquote must follow it and must believe it. And if it doesn't fit in your ideological box, then you must dismiss it. And renewable energy is one of the hot political topics. But by nature, I'm a math and science guy. There are physical characteristics and laws of nature associated with renewable energy that are completely independent of political opinion. I'll give you one example of how blinding political opinion can be and then move on. I'd read a post about how France was requiring parking lots over a certain size to be covered with solar panels. France is facing an energy crisis because they've relied primarily on nuclear energy for their electricity and have completely ignored the maintenance on those power plants and they're falling apart. So their idea is to use these parking lots to replace the nuclear power plants, or at least that's what the article was talking about. After commenting on how I own solar panels, I pointed out a couple things as to why the math did not work out on such a plan. A few educated commentators agreed, some throwing out some math, etc., and added to my assessment. But many more started off labeling me of a political ideology and thus having no idea what I was talking about. One went so far as to claim, based on my profile, it was obvious to them of my political leaning and I had no business discussing solar panel. Doesn't matter what knowledge I have, just wrong politics. The craziest response exposed the complete misunderstanding of how solar panels work and give us a starting point to discuss how they really work. This commentator, after throwing out a few slanders my way, went on to claim that they have solar panels on their house and they not only supply all of their electrical needs, but that of a neighbor, and that there's such an abundance of electricity the power company is paying them every month for the excess. Well, this comment reflects the general concept much of the public has regarding renewable energy. 
My comment to the contrary challenged that belief, and because everything is made political and seemingly politics has been elevated to define who one is, and so it wasn't just a challenge to the idea, they took it as a direct challenge to who they are. Well, I'm going to show you how impossible that claim was. In fact, it was absurd. I happen to think renewable energy is great, but it's not the magic pill to solve all of our energy needs in the way that it's being promoted. Here are the facts, here's how it all works, and then you decide how best to use it for your needs. Now, why did we choose solar panels? As you may know, I spent over a decade in the financial services business, and I sat down with plenty of retirees who had the house paid for, but being on a fixed income, it was the reoccurring expenses that gave them trouble. Things such as insurance, not just medical, but homeowners, auto, their utilities, and food were all big expenses. I imagine going into retirement with no electric bill. We have a 100% electric house and we have a septic system, so I wouldn't have a sewer bill. But if I could eliminate that electric bill, that could be a big one. Now, while that concept is possible, it takes some planning and it's not as simple as the solar panel marketers make it out to be. Then, just as important, I wanted to be independent of the power grid. I love the outdoors and we tent camped as a kid. Now, while I want to be in nature as much as possible, the idea of tent camping for more than one night has zero appeal to me. I'm even past the idea of glamping in a camper. Nah, give me a cabin or a house in the woods with electricity and plumbing. That's my idea of hanging out in the outdoors. Now, that being said, if there's an interruption of power by the weather or issues with the grid, I don't want to participate. I always want to be attached to the grid, but I want to have the capability to go three or four days straight without it with full electrical power. With all of this in mind, I began my research. The first thing I found was a wide variety of terms and units of measure all mixed up across manufacturers. You really have to pay attention to the units of measure to accurately compare panels, batteries, inverters, etc. Before your eyes glaze over and you check out of this conversation, the simple solution is to find a reputable solar panel installer and let them do the math. More about that later. I'm not going to wear you out with a highly technical conversation on all the different ratings and how to convert for comparisons, etc. But there are a few key facts you need to understand. They're very straightforward and crazy enough, nobody seems to talk about them. The first thing you need to know about is power output. If I buy this solar panel and put it in the sun, how much electricity will it generate? Again, we're not going to discuss how to use that information to calculate how many panels you need or anything else like that. The critical part here is to know how long it will produce that power. This is the part no one talks about and most people are surprised when they hear this. It's not about the lifespan of the panel either. The issue is solar panels only produce their peak rated power for an average of five hours a day, maybe six hours in the summer, typically from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in what is called peak sun hours. You would think if the sun is out, then they're producing power. And yes, they are, but it's just not the peak rated power that's labeled on the panel. In order to get the peak power output, the panel has to be at the correct angle related to the sun, and that angle varies depending on how far north or south you are from the equator. And it changes as the sun moves across the sky. 
There are websites where you can enter your address and get the proper angle to set your panels for your location. But again, a reputable installer will take care of that for you. But this ensures you get your full five hours of peak power. My solar panel inverters are tied to a phone app that shows current power and production and keeps a running total for the day, week, month, and year. You clearly see peak power is produced in June, July, and August and during that five-hour window. It can be double the lowest months of November, December, and January, and you have to plan accordingly. It's physics. You cannot change that output through those winter months. This is an extremely important consideration when designing an effective system to power your home. It has a significant impact on the idea of going totally green for the nation's power needs. To keep it simple, I want to talk about units of power as the base unit. If you have a coal-fired power plant that produces a unit of power per hour, that plant produces that unit of power 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, no matter what. If you have a solar panel array, that produces the same unit of power, or is rated for the same unit of power, it will only produce that power level for five hours a day at best, as we just discussed, and of course less in the winter, more in the summer, and way less on cloudy days, and none at night. I mean, that's obvious. No power at night makes sense, and little power during cloudy days is also common sense. But the five hours of rated power output was a surprise to me, and it makes sense when you understand about the angle relative to the sun. The problem is no one points this out. So the greater public is led to believe if we have a coal plant rated at 10 units of power and a solar array rated at 10 units of power, they're equivalent, slam dunk, don't need the power plant. This idea of the two being equal causes all kinds of problems. You see claims of the cost to produce solar is less than other power generating sources, or the idea of how simple it is to switch over to something like solar to replace the coal plants. By the way, I'm not here to debate the need for renewables, nor to defend coal power plants. However, coal plants are not the super polluters you read about, and not the way they were decades ago. I work with several of them. Regulations coupled with technology have made incredible advances on the pollution control front. But here's the key. If there's a coal plant that makes one unit of power in an hour, then it makes 24 units every 24 hours. A solar panel array that makes one unit of power at peak does so for five hours. And let's just assume the rest of the combined time of less than perfect sun angle makes up three more hours of peak power. Probably less than that, but it makes the math easy. So in the same 24-hour period, it makes 8 units of power. We're going to ignore for the moment that it would only be in the summer. Recall my power output in the winter months is half of that from the summer months. But a solar power array with the same power rating as the coal plant makes 8 units of power per 24 hours versus 24 units of power by the coal plant, meaning you need a minimum of three times the number of solar panels of the similar hour rating to make the same power in a day. Throw in some cloudy days and you might need four or five times the number of panels. Now that's not good or bad, it's just the reality of the situation. Plus with the change in the sun angle from summer to winter, you might need an one or two more sets of panels to satisfy it in the winter. 
By the way, it's not about snow or cloudy winter days that reduces the output. Those are a factor. But again, the primary driver is the angle of the sun. So even if you live in Arizona, you're going to see a drop in output in the winter months. Maybe not a 50% drop like I see here, but it will drop. The even bigger problem is how do we store this energy for use at night and on cloudy days? We're going to discuss batteries in the next episode. And the key is the larger public and especially the media have no clue about the limited hours of peak production from solar panels. And the politicians, unfortunately, are among the most clueless. This is a serious issue because we're being driven down a path that technology cannot deliver on yet. Certainly not for national power needs, but I do believe it's completely feasible for individual homeowners to use solar power if you know how it all works. So to summarize, your panels are not going to produce the rated power output all day long. You're going to see power output drop with changes in the seasons. And the simplest way to size your system is to find a reputable company to sell, install, and service the system where they can account for the difference between winter and summer. A buddy from college is an electrical engineer, and he has solar panels, so I went with the company he used. I figured he had questions for them I never would have thought to ask. And, of course, being an engineer, he would have done his research and asked questions. And, of course, he did. This company turned out to be great to work with. There are a couple more myths to clean up here as well. For sure, you've seen the ads claiming that your utility company will pay you to go solar or your state government is paying homeowners to go solar, at a minimum implying you can get the system for free. There's a small grain of truth in there about being paid, apparently enough to prevent them from being sued for false advertising. But let me explain the process and the reality of how it works. You certainly don't get completely paid and you don't get free electricity. First, you contact a supplier and they want 12 months of utility bills to help estimate how many solar panels you need. Of course, the salesperson is going to come out to see you to determine your goals and survey the site and talk about where the panels can go. Most people end up with them on their roof. Personally, I did not want panels on my roof. My roof's very steep, a lot more than normal, and any maintenance would be difficult. Plus, anything that gets mounted to the roof has the potential to cause leaks, and I've heard in high winds there's a lot of creaking and other type of sounds coming from the roof. And at some point, if you need a new roof, the panels present another obstacle to overcome. Plus, I've got plenty of land to put them on the ground. From my experience, they try to size the system around your average usage, so you make extra power in the summer, but you're just a little bit short in the winter. Of course, during the day, you're going to make more power than you need, and the excess is sold back to the power company. Well, in 44 states, they offer net metering where they give you credit for the excess power. But it's a reduced rate from what you buy from them. Their argument is they also have the burden of infrastructure for distribution on top of the cost to generate the electricity. So it's not too bad. The goal is, is that you sell the power company more during the day than you use at night. This requires a special meter to be installed to track the back and forth of power. Ours is digital, and it has a dash moving across the bottom of the screen, and when you're feeding the grid, the dashes move right to left, and then at night, they move left to right. But it's actually cool to see the meter, quote-unquote, run backwards. 
but the power you give back to them sets on your utility bill as a credit. There's no utility company that cuts you a check for the excess power you generate. In our state, the credit resets every month. I think some states let you carry it over a year, but it's not indefinite. But I can't carry the extra power I make in the summer to the winter. Again, I think most states operate this way. It would be nice, but at the end of the day, I don't think I would land at a net zero over the entire year. The cost of the panels is something no one seems to talk about, and the cost of panels and installation is a five-figure expense and up. You can pay for the entire cost out of pocket, or they offer financing. We were offered a 0.99% interest rate loan, so we did the loan. The goal of the solar panel seller is to keep the payment at or below your average bill, and they market that fact. Since you are paying an electric bill anyway, they see the fact that the payment on the panels is less money. Somehow, you're saving money and being paid by your utility company through that to own the panels, meaning they're free. That's not true. The bottom line is the equipment and install will cost you money. So the detractor to my comment on the French parking lot plan was a liar. No utility company pays you for excess power. The cost to install panels to supply your house and your neighbor's house for 24 hours of usage and still have excess power generation would have cost you well into the six figures. But this is the mythological idea many people have of how solar works. Throw up a few panels, get them for free, utility company pays you, you've got more electricity than you know what to do with. Just doesn't work that way. The federal government and some states offer tax incentives to install solar. It comes in the form of a reduction in taxes. Again, they do not cut you a check, they just reduce your tax burden, meaning your tax liability has to be enough so that it can be reduced down to zero if necessary to equal the amount of the credit to take it full advantage of it. In short, you trade a utility bill for a fixed payment with a fixed term. No free lunch, as the saying goes. Now, most panels have a 20-year warranty. Ours are warrantied for 25 years, meaning they should perform as they do now for 25 years before they begin to decline. Make no mistake, they will eventually fail and need to be replaced. One advantage, though, is a loan payment will stay fixed while the utility rates will climb. If nothing else, rates will go up from inflation. Pick a term that's shorter than the lifespan of the panels, and you'll have no loan payment and a limited electric bill for a decade or so. To get properly set up, though, you're going to need a battery system. I want to talk about that in the next episode. But to wrap up today's episode, there are great reasons to get solar panels for your house. Free electricity is not one of those. But isolating yourself from power outages is a fantastic reason. And, like I said, you're going to have to have a battery to do that. And also, limiting your exposure to rate hikes by utilities is another great reason. I think all of those are very valid, and I wish the solar panel companies would advertise those instead of trying to make up stuff as to what their panels can do. We're always interested to hear what you think. Please go to our website, yourguidetothegoodstuff.com, and leave us feedback. That's Y-O-U-R, guidetothegoodstuff.com. 
You can also reach out at our email, yourguidetothegoodstuff at gmail.com. New episodes are released every Monday and can be found wherever you get your podcast. As an added benefit, if you sign up for our email, you will receive a synopsis of what Monday's episode is about on the Sunday before. Plus, you'll get any links we share and behind-the-scenes photos delivered to your email on the Monday after the episode is released. In the meantime, have a fantastic week, and as my friend would always say, Arrivederci.